So good to see all of you here today. I got here a little bit late, uh, but when I got in, many of you were already here, so it was just great to get a chance to see you for just a moment at least before we started service, and I'm so encouraged that many of you are now uh, in church, and, and we thank God for that. Before we uh, find in our Bibles the Gospel of Matthew, if you want to go ahead and start that looking up, uh, the Gospel of Matthew chapter 5. While you're doing that, let me just announce that in two weeks, uh, April 2nd, which is a Friday, it's Good Friday, we are having a Good Friday service here at church at 11 o'clock a.m., just as we normally do, 11 o'clock service, Friday morning, the Good Friday service, and we will have communion on that day. And then, of course, Easter follows that day, Sunday morning, April 4th will be our Easter service. Both services will be at 11 o'clock in the morning as normal. Um, but you know, last year, we had to cancel that Good Friday service. And we had to cancel that Easter service. And thank God we're not doing that this year. In fact, I'll go ahead and say, I don't think we should ever close our church again. Never. Now, there may be some who disagree with me, but I say it now. I pray that we never close the doors to this church again. But in the meantime, we will give God thanks for his grace, and we will give God thanks because he leads us through everything that we go through in life, and we are to walk with wisdom in those things. So, Good Friday service, mark that in your calendars, April 2nd, 11 in the morning, and Easter service, April 4th, of course, 11 in the morning as well. All right, and then as of today, we'll start sending you uh, updates and reminders in the group chat that we have for our church. That way you can keep uh, reminding yourself of that. All right, so the Gospel of Matthew, are you already, already there? I got to get there myself. The Gospel of Matthew chapter 5, we began last week with this new sermon series, the Sermon on the Mount. It's called the greatest sermon that was ever preached, and I agree. Today, we are going to begin the beginning section of the Sermon on the Mount, which is called the Beatitudes. All right, so each week for the next several weeks, we're going to read all the Beatitudes in their entirety. There are eight of them all together, but each Sunday we're going to concentrate on just one of those Beatitudes. So if you will stand with me, I'm going to read Matthew chapter 5, verse 3 until verse 12. But today's sermon is going to concentrate on verse 3. Here it is, the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. 
Amen. You may be seated. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so before we look at that verse as we open up in today's sermon, which is titled, The Poor in Spirit, I just want to talk a little bit about the Beatitudes. Now that word Beatitude you won't find in the Scripture. It's what we call these eight blessings. The word Beatitude comes from a Latin word that means blessedness. And so we could call these the blessings, the blessedness, or as it's commonly called, the Beatitudes. And some have said that these Beatitudes, they're like pearls, eight pearls on a necklace. They are separate pearls, but they all belong on the same necklace that we adorn ourselves with. And I I agree with that. They all go together. The first four Beatitudes concerns our relationship with Jesus. The second four Beatitudes concern our relationship with the world around us. But instead of thinking them as pearls on a necklace, in my mind at least, I think of this as a blossoming flower. You know, if you ever watch the the time-lapse blossoming of a flower, it speeds up the process. You see how this bulb uncovers a first layer of petals. And then that first layer opens away for the next layer and the next layer until you finally have this fully blossomed flowers. Many layers of petals, but they go one layer that opens up to the next that opens up to the next. And I think of the Beatitudes like that. We begin with the first Beatitude. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And then once we have that, it opens the way for the next beatitude, which is those who mourn. And then that opens the way to the next beatitude, which is about the meek. And so I believe that as we begin this Christian journey with the Lord, these beatitudes show us a growing process in the character of the Christian. And today it all begins with, blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now when it comes to not only the Beatitudes, but I think as the the whole Sermon on the Mount, one of the keys to understanding what Jesus is teaching overall in the Sermon on the Mount is what he says within the sermon in verse 20. He says, For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, in Jesus' day, the Pharisees and the scribes, they were all about the outward appearance of holiness. They followed different laws. They even made their own laws and they made their own traditions, man-made traditions as it's called. And they believed that as long as they just do these things and let people see them do these things then theirs is the kingdom of heaven. But Jesus teaches something quite the opposite of that. He says to us, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not see the kingdom of heaven. Now when he says that, by no means was Jesus saying that our works need to outnumber the works of the Pharisees, that we we have to do more than what they did. 
That's not what he's talking about. It's not quantity of works that he is speaking of. It's the quality of the works that we do for God. Before he teaches anything about manifesting our good works, which we do to glorify God, Jesus goes right to the heart of the matter. He begins within, and he unveils our spiritual need. And that need is to know Christ and to trust him and to have him in our life. You see, the Pharisees were all about outward appearance. But in the Gospels, Jesus made it very plain to them. First of all, he said you were like whitewashed tombs. Beautiful to behold on the outside, but inside you are filled with dead men's bones. You look alive outwardly, but inwardly you are dead. He also teaches in the Gospels that no matter how good they appeared to be, Jesus knew what was inside. And he said to them, you do not even know God the Father. His word does not abide in you. And therefore you have not believed in the Son of God. They, they might look holy outwardly, but Jesus knew there is no relationship between them and God. Their hearts are as cold as every other sinner that walks upon the earth. So Jesus, in the Beatitudes, he now begins to pronounce blessed. Blessing after blessing after blessing. And the pronouncement of blessing is not based upon what we can offer him. It's not based upon what we do for him. The blessings are entirely based upon what we are in Christ Jesus. And that is born again in the Spirit and a new creation in Christ. Now from reading these Beatitudes today or maybe this past week you've glanced over them a little bit. You may feel a bit challenged in your soul when you read these. And that's okay. For we cannot live out this Sermon on the Mount. We cannot do it on our own, by ourselves. There's only one in the history of the world that lived the Sermon on the Mount perfect, with perfection, with perfect holiness and righteousness, well-pleasing to God, and that was Jesus. And so, as we look at the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount, we must remember that we are to be totally dependent upon Christ and totally dependent upon the empowerment of His Spirit within us. See, I believe the Beatitudes represent what God is forming you to be. It's what He's producing in you to be. Just like in Philippians when Paul says that it's God who works in you, both to will and to do His good pleasure. I believe that it is God who works in you to produce in you the likeness of Christ. Do you know, before Jesus began to preach the sermon, Matthew gives sort of a, a recollection on some of the first disciples that Jesus called to follow him. There were a few like Peter, James, John, and Andrew. There were uh, fishermen 
They were partners together in the fishing industry. And the Bible says, in fact, if you want to look at it in Matthew chapter 4, verse 19 and 20, Jesus saw them on the boat and he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. But you notice what he said to them? Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. These men were poor, fishermen, not well educated. They were nobody in life. They weren't politicians or any rich people. There were nobodies. But as they followed Jesus, Jesus said, I will make you. I will form you. I will produce in you to be fishers of men. And in the same way, I believe he says the same thing. All these beatitudes, I will make you into this image. I will form you into this blessedness in life. And again, it begins with poor in spirit. You know, the wonderful mystery of the gospel, according to Paul in the book of Colossians, the wonderful mystery of the gospel is that not only did Jesus once give his life for you, amen? 2,000 years ago, he gave his life for you. But the wonder of, of it all is that today, Christ gives his life to you. It's his life in you. And because you have him in you, you are able to be produced in everything that he is speaking about in the Beatitudes. Or as Paul would say in Colossians, Christ in you, the hope of glory. All our hope in this world and in the world to come is all based on this one thing, Christ in you. So as we begin the Beatitudes today, remember, it is for those who have Christ within. Amen? So are you ready? Let's get into blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And by doing this, we're going to break this into two points today, both a question. Number one, who are the poor in spirit? And number two, why are they blessed? Okay? So let's begin. Number one, who are the poor in spirit? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. As they're up on this mountain, Jesus climbed up and he sat down. His disciples came and surrounded him, sitting with him, and all those multitudes have come up the mountain as well. And as Jesus begins to speak, perhaps he looks at all that multitude of people, so many of them standing behind the disciples. And remember who they were and where they're from? They're from everywhere. And they were in great need of Christ. They were impoverished people. They probably spent all their wealth on getting healed and nothing could heal them. They were afflicted, the Bible says, which means they were prisoners in their physical diseases and in their spiritual torments. They were helpless. 
without any answers, without strength. And they came all the way to Jesus because they knew He was their only hope. So as Jesus looks at this multitude of people, impoverished and seeking only to be with Him, He says these words to the disciples. Blessed are the poor in spirit. What does it mean to be poor in spirit? Well, it means that when we come before the Lord Jesus, we admit. Say that word, admit. We admit, I have nothing, I can do nothing, I am nothing without Christ. I cannot save myself, I need a Savior. Let me say that again. What does it mean to be poor in spirit? It means that when you come before Christ, you admit, Lord, I have nothing to offer. I can do nothing. I cannot save myself. I am nothing without you. I need you to be my Savior. That's what poor in spirit means. It means we come to God empty-handed. And we just bow our lives before Him and trust in Him alone to save us. When you see Christ, the glory of His life, like when we read about it in Scriptures, when you see Christ in all of His glory and His wonderful life, you then see yourself as you truly are. When you see Christ in all of His glory, His splendor, His holiness, His perfection then you see yourself as you truly are. And that is a sinner who deserves judgment. There's a few examples of this in the Bible. In the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Isaiah is the first one. Isaiah in the book of Isaiah. In chapter 5 of Isaiah... He's speaking the word of God with such thunder and fire and boldness. And he's speaking to all the people who have forsaken God. And they go their own ways. And he says seven times in chapter 5, Woe to those. Woe to them. W-O-E. And it means danger, alarm, judgment is coming. And so he says, Woe to those who practice injustice. Woe to those who have pride in their hearts. Woe to those who covet other people's property. Woe to those who think you need nothing in life and you have forsaken God. Seven times, woe to you. Woe to you. Judgment. And there's going to be no escape. And then in chapter 6, God lifts Isaiah's eyes to heaven. And in chapter 6, Isaiah sees the Lord sitting on the throne in all of his glory and all of the angels worshiping him. And when Isaiah sees the Lord in all of his glory, Isaiah says, woe is me. Woe is me, for I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips. 
And I dwell upon those who also speak with wickedness in their hearts. Isaiah knew the moment he saw Christ on the throne, he realized the sin that was within. And he said, I am undone. It's as though God just dissected him right there, took him apart piece by piece. And as Isaiah looked at himself, woe is me. I am a sinner and I deserve judgment. But God wouldn't leave Isaiah in that condition because God forgave Isaiah of all that sin. And not only that, he called Isaiah to be a great prophet of God. And he did. He became probably the greatest Old Testament prophet we find. In fact, in the New Testament, the New Testament quotes Isaiah more than any other prophet in the Old Testament. But first, he needed to realize he was poor in spirit. In the New Testament, we have Peter. One of those times where there was a great multitude surrounding Jesus. Too many people, so Jesus got into Peter's boat. And he told Peter to, to push off the land a little bit. And as they made distance out into the water, Jesus was able to teach all the multitude. And when he was done, he said to Peter, let's go out now in deep waters and catch some fish. And Peter said, um, Jesus, I'm the fisherman here. We've been fishing all night, and I'm telling you, there's nothing to catch today. Nevertheless, okay, we'll do what you say. And so they went out into the deep, and they cast out their nets, and you know what happened. There was so much fish in those nets that they couldn't pull it into the boat. They had to have other people come. James and John had to come and help get all these fish into the boat. And even when they did that, the boats began to sink into the water. That's how much fish they caught. And when Peter saw that glory of Christ, he ran to Jesus and fell at his knees in that boat. And he said, Lord, you must depart from me because I am a sinful man. Depart from me, Lord. I don't belong anywhere near you because I'm a man filled with sin. That was a man who admitted that he was nothing without Christ. Poor in spirit. And Jesus had no intention on leaving Peter. Instead, he taught Peter how to catch men in life for the kingdom of heaven. God took Isaiah and he took Peter and he brought them exactly where they needed to be on their face before him and admitting we are nothing and we have nothing without you. You are everything to us. And that's when God used them. Poor in spirit. Now it seems to me that every man and every woman and every child is poor in spirit. I mean, aren't they? Isn't that the truth? Isn't it the truth that no man, no woman or child could come before Jesus and say, yeah, we don't need you? I mean, they might say that, but is that the reality? No. We're all poor in spirit. We all need God. So what's the difference between the one who is blessed and the one who is not? If all the world is poor in spirit... Why are some blessed and some are not? Blessed are the ones 
who admit it. Who come to Jesus and admit their poverty. They don't ignore it. They don't fight it. But they throw up their hands and surrender. And say, Jesus, I surrender. I'm nothing without you. And I need you to save me. That's the one who will be blessed. Blessed are those who admit that their proper place in life is down on their face in the dirt before God. Now there are probably many Christians, true Christians, who may, for various reasons, stray away from that place. Whether it's because of temptations, or they get involved with sinful behavior, or there's just other things that occupy their mind or their victims to false teaching. There are many Christians that leave that place at the Lord's feet and stray away somewhere else. But I truly believe that God who is faithful, He will draw that child back to where he or she belongs. Because it's at the feet of Christ where we are blessed. And that's what God wants for his children, to be blessed. And so if you have wandered away from that place today, I believe maybe it's today, the Lord will draw you back to where you belong because it's the place of blessing. Do you know in the story Jesus told, the parable, we call it the prodigal son story. A young man who told his father, I want my inheritance now. And so his father gave the boy his inheritance. And in a few days, Jesus said he went to a far country and he spent all of his wealth on foolish living. Prodigal living, foolish living, until he had nothing. And then there was a famine in that land. Now he's not only poor, but there's nothing for him. No food, no nothing. So he begs someone to let him be their servant. To even take care of the pigs that they owned and to feed them. And he said in the story that as he watched the pigs eating their slop, he wished he could eat it because that's how hungry he was. But in that moment, in the slop of those pigs, knee deep in their mud, it suddenly occurred to him, I need my father. I need to go back home. I need to be with my father again. I need to apologize for how I have offended him and have run away from him. And even if he just lets me be a servant to him, then that's good enough for me. But I must go home. I need my father. And Jesus says while he was still on his way home, his father saw him and ran to him and embraced him and kissed him. And he didn't let that young man become his servant. No. He remained his own son. Brought back to where he needed to be. And I believe Christians go through the same mistake in life. And so you know what I believe? If you know a brother or sister in Christ, a family member, somebody that you know who has served the Lord, and you have watched them go to a faraway country and wasting their life, I believe it is right for us to pray, God, 
Bring them into the slop of the pigs. Bring them into the nothingness of what they've done. Bring them into the middle of nothing where they can admit once again, I am poor, I have nothing, and I need to go home back to my father again. I believe it is right for us when Christians walk away to pray that God will bring them to the lowest place of life because perhaps at that moment they will go home and be with the Lord once again. But there are others in this world that will flat out refuse to admit they are poor. Like one lady, I'm sure I've spoken of her before some years ago, a lady that was a friend to our family. Her family believes it was just plain mental illness, maybe a little bit of drugs, maybe a little bit of both. And I, after the whole entire encounter with this woman, I think it was very much to do with demonic things as well. But there was a woman who the only answer the family had was to put her into the mental home at the hospital, in the psychiatric ward of the hospital. This woman wouldn't let any of her family or friends see her. She was so angry that they forced her to go there. But she did allow me to go and visit her. And I did. And on the very first day, I was sitting with her in the little courtyard where they're allowed to go out and walk around. And as I'm listening to her, such selfish pride is all she kept talking about. Talking about how wealthy she is, how powerful she is. And I think when I looked at her after hearing all that, I think I said something to the effect of, do you not see how broken you are? Can you not tell how broken you are and that you need to be healed? And when I said that, she was filled with anger at me and began to scream at me. Don't you dare tell me that I'm not strong enough. I don't need you and I don't need your God. I know how to heal myself. I'm strong. My gods give me my healing. I know how to heal myself. I know how to get myself through any condition. I am strong. And I said to her, what are you talking about? What's the strength you speak of? Look around you. Look where you are. You are in the mental hospital. What do you mean I am strong and I can heal myself? Just look around you. You're speaking nonsense. And for the next month, I was able to keep going back, talking to her more and more about the Lord. Unfortunately, in the end, she still didn't feel she needed anyone to help her. And she still feels that way today. She refuses to admit her brokenness. What a sad condition it is. Do you know the church in Laodicea in the book of Revelation? Revelation chapter 3, when you read around the verse 16, 17, and 18, Jesus is speaking to the church in Laodicea who's in big trouble spiritually. In fact, when you read about this church, it makes you wonder, how can, he, how can Jesus even call them a church? Because he says to them, you say, I am rich, I have wealth, and I have no need of anything. And Jesus says, but look, 
You are wretched, miserable, poor, naked, and blind, and you don't even know it. You claim that you're rich. You claim that you need nothing, but the reality is you are wretched and naked, miserable, poor, and blind. What kind of a church is that? That was the church that Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. What kind of a church gathers together and Jesus is on the outside, knocking, warning the people to let him in? To me, that sounds like no church at all. But what was their problem? They had confidence in their wealth, in their riches, in their accomplishments, in their trophies, in their inventions. And they didn't think they were in need of anything else. Jesus said, you are wrong. No matter how much is in your bank account, no matter how big your home is or what you have in life, poor, wretched, naked, miserable, and blind without Christ. Do you remember that old children's fairy tale? The emperor who got new clothes. You ever read that? Young people, you ever read that? It's a story of an emperor who was so full of himself, so prideful, he thought he, thought he was the best thing in the world. And he wanted wealth, he wanted riches, he wanted fame. And he wanted garments that would be the most beautiful garments to behold. And so two men came who were thieves and tricksters. And they said to him, we can make you the most wonderful, beautiful clothing out of pure gold and treasures. Just give us the gold and the treasures and we will use it as the thread. And we will give you the most wonderful clothing that any man has ever worn. And so they gave him all the gold and all the treasures and these two men put it in their knapsacks. And then they began to pretend, with needle in hand, to sew invisible thread. That's how fine the thread was. It was invisible. And so they pretended to sew these garments together. And after a while, the emperor, the king, sent some people to go and check out the progress. The men that were forming these robes told the king that only the true, pure people will be able to see the gowns. But if you're an unfit person, an unworthy person, you won't see them. They will be invisible to you. And the king was just so overwhelmed with this, so he, he sent his servants to go look at it. And when the servants got there and saw these two men doing this, and there's nothing there, they thought to themselves, uh, what is this? Oh, Maybe we can't see them because we're unfit. We're unworthy for our job. Well, they couldn't tell the king that. So they went back to the king and they said, Your majesty, they are beautiful to behold. I mean, such wonderful robes, pure gold that is beautiful. It's going to look so good on you. And as the process went on, the king would send more people and they came back with the same report. They didn't want to admit they couldn't see the clothing because that would mean they were unworthy people. So all these people pretended to see these beautiful gowns and tell the king he's going to be a wonderful, majestic man in all that splendor. And the day finally came. The king was going to be dressed in his new clothing and be paraded around the whole city. And these two men acted as though they were taking these garments and placing them on the king. He couldn't feel anything and he couldn't see anything. 
He was just naked. But he didn't want to admit it. Otherwise, then he is unworthy. So he took these fake garments and began to walk in the city. And the men behind them were carrying the train of this robe as though there's something really there. And when all the people saw him, they began to clap and say, wow, how beautiful you are. Until finally a child looked and said, the king is naked. He has no clothes on. What are you people talking about? And one by one, the people were saying, the boy is right. The king is naked. What's wrong with him? Until the king finally figured it out too. But nobody would admit it. And the king continued to walk as though he was wearing beautiful garments. What a fool. I say that to say this. There are people in the world that think they are so special, so wonderful, that they're better than everybody else and they need no one. And they walk around this world thinking that they're the greatest when all the while they're the greatest fools on earth. And you might know some of them. They are filled with pride, with selfish ambition. They look down upon you. You might know them. You might even say to them, yeah, wow, you are pretty great. Wow, yes, you are successful. All you're, all you're doing is feeding into their sick minds. Jesus looks at them and says, you are poor, wretched, naked, and blind. Maybe what we need are more children to call people what they truly are. Naked and fools because they reject Christ. We must come to Christ acknowledging our poverty. And we must empty ourselves of self-confidence and pride that we may be filled with Christ. To be poor in spirit is the foundation of the Christian life. That's where it begins. It is the emptying of ourselves to be filled with Christ and His Spirit and with the Father's love. Back to that blossoming flower as it unfolds one layer at a time. Perhaps poor in spirit is actually the seed of that flower. The seed is the one who is poor in spirit. And the Holy Spirit comes and germinates that seed with His life-giving power to grow the flower which you will become. Who are the poor in spirit? Those who admit, I am nothing without Christ, and I need Him as my Savior. That is the foundation of the Christian life. Second, why are they blessed? Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Those who are poor in spirit, they place their whole lives into the hands of Christ. Thus, they are saved from judgment, forgiven of all their sin. They are kept and cared for by the Savior, and they claim heaven as their own. They belong to the kingdom of heaven. That's a blessing not only for tomorrow, but for today as well. It's a blessing for tomorrow because one day we shall be there where He is with Him in heaven. James chapter 2 says, listen, he says this to the church, listen my beloved brethren, 
Has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which He promised to those who love Him? Those who are poor, they become rich in faith, rich in Christ, and they shall inherit the kingdom of heaven. And the Bible tells us about heaven that it is unimaginable glories of God. Now, this is a blessing for tomorrow because one day we will be there with Him. But the blessing is also yours today. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, not blessed you will be someday, but blessed are the poor in spirit. The blessing is not just for tomorrow, it is for today. Because the Bible teaches today we are kingdom citizens. We are citizens of heaven already. Amen? It is already ours as possession. Just like Jesus says, he who believes in me has eternal life. Not one day you'll get it. Not somewhere in the future. But it is yours today. You possess it. You claim eternal life today. In the same way, yours is the kingdom of heaven. The poor in spirit. They are as sure to go to heaven as if they were in heaven already. Did you hear that? The poor in spirit, they are as sure to go to heaven as if they were in heaven already. Today, we live in the kingdom of the Lord. Today on earth, we can call it the kingdom of grace. And one day we will be with Him in the kingdom of glory. And you might say, well, how can I live in His kingdom of grace today? I mean, how can I live out what He's teaching me right here? Jesus tells us. He says, at that day you will know that I am in my Father and you are in me. And I am in you. So when we say, how can I live in the kingdom of grace today? How can I live this life that he's describing to me today? Jesus says, this is how. You live in the kingdom of grace because I am in you. It's my life in you. And I will produce in you all that I want to produce. And then you might say, well, that makes sense, but what about the kingdom of glory? How shall I ever go into that kingdom? How shall I ever stand before Almighty God in all of His glory and holiness? Jesus says it right here. It's because you are in me, He says. Because you are in Christ. You are fit for the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of grace is possible because He is in you. The kingdom of glory is possible because you are in Him.
That's the poor in spirit. And so closing today with these two questions, who are the poor in spirit and why are they blessed? Again, the poor in spirit come to Christ acknowledging and admitting, I'm nothing without you, Jesus. And I have nothing to offer you. And I cannot save myself. I need you and you alone. And I will guarantee you this, brothers and sisters, the more you walk with Christ, the more you will realize just how poor you are. But the more poor you become, the more rich you are in the life of Christ. And why are they blessed? Because heaven belongs to you. Musicians, will you come up? And as you do, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. Look what our king has done. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. In other words, Jesus, who created all the worlds, heaven and earth, it all belongs to him. The material world belongs to him, and the spiritual world belongs to him. He is rich beyond riches, yet he left all of that aside. He laid aside all of his glorious splendor. He came into the world and put on human flesh, and he lived as a poor man. He came to serve mankind, and the Bible says because he became poor, we have become rich in him and heaven is our reward so Jesus looks at you today and he says come come all you who are poor in spirit come blessed are you blessed are you for the kingdom my kingdom is your kingdom and my home is your home so come all you who are poor in spirit. Yours is the kingdom of heaven. Amen? Let me pray before we sing.